Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be reading the first 34 verses of this chapter. First Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because he testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, 
It is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, Paul, in his letter to Corinth, is now moving on to the next topic he will deal with. We have spent the last uh, several weeks looking at chapters 11 through 14 when Paul deals with the topic of issues going on in worship. And now he's going to go on to another problem that was happening in Corinth, dealing with understanding of the resurrection of the dead. Uh, there was a problem in the church at Corinth. Some were questioning whether or not that was really the case that the dead would actually rise. How could that be? Isn't it the case that death is death and that is the end? Uh, Paul will address the church. He will correct them as to the proper understanding of the resurrection of the dead and also give them hope with regard to that resurrection. It comes as no surprise that Paul in this section regarding resurrection focuses on Jesus Christ and on his resurrection. Uh, Paul will address them and make the argument that if Christ has been raised, uh, there will be others who are raised from the dead. They were saying, uh, you know, there's no resurrection. And Paul says, well, if there's no resurrection, then Christ hasn't even been raised. Paul will say, no, uh, there is resurrection because Christ himself has been raised. And so will all be who are found in him. Paul says in verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul is saying, this is no small matter. This understanding of the resurrection of the dead, this is not some peripheral thing. Now, there are some issues with regard to theology on which we can agree to disagree. Uh, Paul says, this is not one of those things. Christ and the fact that Christ was raised from the dead is central to understanding the gospel. He says, I delivered to you that which was of first importance. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is no small matter that they can try to deal with. No, Paul says, you must understand. We're talking about the gospel itself, that which you believe, and that to which you are to hold fast, 
the teaching that I have given to you, not being distracted, not being taken away, but holding fast to this fundamental truth. It is of first importance. And he says, verse 5, Jesus Christ was raised and he appeared to Cephas, that's to Peter, children, that's another name for Peter. He appeared to, appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, and then he appeared to James and all the apostles, and finally he appeared to me. Paul is saying, this should be obvious to you, that we can trust the resurrection of Christ, and if Christ is raised, others will be raised. You can trust it, because he appeared he showed himself to people. I was talking with my catechism class this morning, as we've talked about the last couple mornings together. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not simply a matter of our faith. It is a matter of fact. Some people say, oh, you want to believe Jesus rose from the dead? That's fine. That's good for you. That helps you in your faith. If you want to believe that, you go ahead. I don't choose to believe that. The resurrection is not simply a matter of our faith. It is a matter of fact. Christ did rise from the dead. And he appeared to many. He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to the five hundred. He appeared to James and the rest. And he appeared to Paul. Now, some might charge that these witnesses to the resurrection are what you might call Friendly witnesses. Well, of course they're going to say this. They were part of Jesus' group. Of course they're going to say that he was raised from the dead. Are these friendly witnesses to the resurrection? The first one Paul mentions is Peter. Peter, the one who three times denied the Lord. Now, now he is a witness. The twelve, those who would see Jesus hanging on the cross and would leave him. The twelve who would be scattered. Now they become witnesses to the truth that they know. The crowds, the 500, those who would at one minute seem to praise him, the other minute seem to reject him. The crowds, so fickle. But Peter says there are 500 who have seen him. James, part of Jesus' own family. You recall early in Jesus' ministry, his family tried to have him put away, tried to keep him silent. No, these are not friendly witnesses to the resurrection. These are those who know what they saw. They saw Jesus, the risen Christ, Paul himself, Last, as one untimely born, least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Paul, one who persecuted the church. Paul, who gave his life to stop the spread of the gospel. This one whose life was arrested by the risen Christ. Paul says, the very fact that I'm telling you this is evidence of the resurrection. He says in verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. But it was not me, 
It was the grace of God in me. Paul says, the very fact I'm talking to you, assuring you of the resurrection, is assurance of the resurrection. I was a persecutor, but God came and grabbed hold of me and made me his own. The evidence is overwhelming. Eyewitness testimony. Jesus truly was raised from the dead. If you begin to wonder today, is the story true? How can we know that Christ really was raised from the dead? Well, we certainly have the infallible testimony of the Word of God, which should be sufficient for us. But if we want to look past that, like Paul, we simply look at our own lives. We who were by nature children of wrath, we who were by nature not lovers of God, but lovers of man, we who were by our fallen nature uncaring about any of the things of God, and God in His grace, because of Jesus Christ, because he died and rose again, God in his grace came to us and revealed to us the light of the gospel. The fact that we can say, I am a Christian, is witness to the fact that Christ really rose. Our own, our own salvation, tied up in who he is and in what he has done. Fallen but now saved by the grace of God. Paul says, verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul says, there are those of you who are saying there is no resurrection, and if there is no resurrection, Christ himself has not been raised. And if that's the case, if that is actually the case, that there is no resurrection and therefore Christ has not been raised, everything falls apart. Everything unravels. He says in verse 14, if that's the case, that Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul is saying, we are preaching the risen Christ. We preach the one who has defeated death. We preach the one whom the tomb could not hold. If there is no resurrection and Christ has not been raised, our preaching is vain. It's useless. It means nothing. And your faith in that gospel is useless as well. Everything falls apart if there is no resurrection and Christ has not been raised. There are other consequences. Verse 15, and he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise. If it's true, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He said, we misrepresent who God is. Because we have declared God is the one who raised Christ from the dead. And God himself becomes a liar. 
if there is no resurrection. We read from Psalm 16 earlier tonight a reference to Christ. You will not let your Holy One see decay. God himself is lying if there is no resurrection. Paul says everything falls apart. There are terrible consequences of this idea that there is no resurrection and therefore Christ has not been raised. He says in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Our sins have not been taken away. If we are not raised to new life in Christ, if he did not come out of the grave, our faith in him means nothing because he's a dead body lying in the ground, not a risen Savior. And our sin still clings to us. We have not been given that new life. Paul says terrible consequences. He concludes this section, verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pities. He's saying if our belief is in Christ and it only helps us in this life, that there's nothing beyond this, we're most to be pitied. For our faith is useless. Our preaching is in vain. We are misrepresenting God. We are still in our sin. Everything falls apart were it not for the truth of the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then even Christ has not been raised. Paul wants to soundly shut the door on that type of thinking. And so he says, as clearly as possible in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul says, don't even entertain the idea that there is no resurrection and therefore Christ has not been raised. In fact, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It is that glorious truth that he wants ringing in their ears. And the truth of this reality will, will help him to understand how this, how this resurrection of Christ overflows as a benefit to them. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does Paul mean when he says the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep? Well, you recall uh, the first fruits principle given to us in the Old Testament, that when a farmer would uh, harvest his crop, he would take the first part, the first fruits, and offer that to God. He did that in faith. The first fruits offering was made in faith, believing there would be more harvest to come. That was the first fruits principle. I'm going to take the very first part of my crop, I'm going to give that to God in faith, believing there will be more harvest after this. And so he says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ was raised, 
as the first fruits, meaning there is more to come. He was raised from the dead, and the more to come will be those who are found in him. He says in verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, those who are found in him. There will be a resurrection of the dead for the believer, for those who are found in Christ. Paul changes the picture just a little bit in verse 21. He says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What Paul is saying is there's a connection between us and Adam. Adam, the head of the entire human race. Everything flows from Adam and Eve. All of us are found in Adam. But what did Adam do, children? Adam sinned. He didn't listen to God. Adam sinned, and because of that, we are all cast into the place of sin. We're all deserving of death. He says, Adam came, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ comes as the second Adam, as the one who did not fail, who did exactly what his father asked him to do. And so in Christ, whereas in Adam there is death, in Christ there is life, and life for all who are found in Christ, for all who are in him. We're all found in Adam because we all flow from Adam. In Christ, those who by grace have embraced Jesus Christ have that assurance that our life is found in Him. Whereas in Adam, all die. In Christ, all shall be made alive. Each in his turn, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Him. I said Paul wants to encourage the church in Corinth. Not only has Christ been raised from the dead, but they too will be raised from the dead. Of course, of course that encouragement, that assurance, is only for those who are found in Christ. We're all found in Adam. Left to ourselves, our end is death, an eternal death. For those who are found in Christ, there is life. In whom are you found tonight? Yes, we're still all found in Adam. He is the federal head of all humanity. But are you also found in Jesus Christ? Have you recognized him as your Lord and as your Savior? Have you put your trust in him? He calls you tonight. Believe in Him. Why would you go the way of death? Believe in Jesus Christ and know the life that He gives. All those who belong to Him will be, have that same assurance of a glorious resurrection. Paul concludes this section with a couple very practical examples. He says, you, got, you, you believe this. Look at your own practice. You believe this. Verse 29. Otherwise, if there's no resurrection, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized 
on behalf of the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? There has been a lot of ink spilled as to what it means that people were being baptized for the dead. It was a practice that was obviously going on in Corinth. After reading a lot of the literature, I have to confess to you, I am not sure what this practice was. But I do know this. Paul is using it as a corrective for them. He's saying even your own actions, whatever that meant to be baptized for the dead, whatever that meant, it demonstrates you do believe in the resurrection. There is a resurrection from the dead. Or why would you do this practice? Whatever it was, why would you be baptized for the dead if that's the end? No, he says, you believe this. You know this to be true. And then he goes on to speak more personally. He says in verse 30, Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, why would I do what I do? Why would I live the way I live? Why would I undergo the, the, the persecutions I have now? Were it not for the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead? He said, if Christ is not raised, just indulge yourself. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. But that's not the case. That's not the case. There is life beyond the grave. Verse 34, wake up. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. Do not go on sinning. The fact that there is a resurrection from the dead affects the way you live now. Don't live like there's no future. Don't eat and drink and be merry and tomorrow we die. But live even now, because of the resurrection, live even now in loving obedience to God. This life is not all that there is. There is an eternity to spend with Him. And even now, we start to bring glory to God in this life. This is not the end. We are called to live a life in keeping with those who will live with Christ forever. Our lives now should reflect the fact that this world is not the end, but there is an eternity an eternity of praising God for all of His goodness, for all of His glory, and that starts now. Wake up, Paul says. Wake up from your drunken stupor and do what is right. Do not go on sinning. Paul addresses the resurrection of the dead. Those who would suggest there is no resurrection, and if there's no resurrection, not even Christ has been raised. Paul says if that's the case, we have no hope at all. Everything falls apart. But in fact, but in fact, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That same glorious message comes to us tonight. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is right now sitting at God's right hand, ruling and reigning over all creation, caring for His church, preserving and defending His church. And all who are found in him will share that glorious resurrection. Paul will flesh out next half of the chapter what that looks like.
But for all who are found in him, we can be sure this life is not the end. So he says, start living now like one who is going to live forever. Start living now. Reject your sinning. Walk in the way of life because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for the assurance that we have that Jesus Christ, in fact, has been raised. Oh, there are still voices today, O oh God, who would challenge the resurrection, who would challenge the truth of who Jesus is. We have your infallible word, an absolutely true record of who Jesus Christ was and what he came to do, what he accomplished, and how he was raised from the dead. And Lord God, we even humbly look at our own lives, seeing your work in our life. Oh, we know we have a long ways to go. We are fallen and sinful, but you continue to work in us by your grace. We are what we are because of you and because of the resurrection. Help us, O oh God, to embrace this glorious truth, to rejoice in this living hope, and to live in a way that reflects this truth. We will live now, and we will live forever. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's turn to 357 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. 357. The day of resurrection, earth tell it out abroad, the Passover of gladness, the Passover of God, from death to life eternal, from this world to the sky, our Christ hath brought us over with hymns of victory. We're going to sing all three verses, 357. Let's stand together as we sing.
Receive the parting blessing of our God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.